his movies, the Shia LaBeouf Podcast. This is Episode 6, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, from 2011. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this is the movie we were, I don't want to say fearing, because fearing is a wrong word, <laughs> but after we tackled five hours of Nymphomaniac, five and a half hours, excuse me, the next obstacle sort of was seven and a half hours of Transformers movies that we're going to get to as you're listening over the course of the next week. Yeah, I was kind of dreading it in a way, I'd say. I had never seen Nymphomaniac before, so I wasn't exactly sure how how crazy intense that was going to be, but I knew what I was in for with Transformers Dark of the Moon because I did sit through this once before, and I never imagined I'd ever sit through it again. This was a movie that I saw at midnight the night it came out, and only because I was working at Best Buy at the time, and some company, I think it was Microsoft, it might have been HP, rented out a room in Dave & Buster's, I think, and they did like this training. They're like, here's free dinner, here's free roam of Dave and Buster's. We're going to do like this hour and a half long seminar. And then at midnight, we're all going to go to the theater in the, in the same mall. And you, we have a, we rented out a theater for Transformers. We're like, this is amazing. Like, this is like the best. Like, I'll listen to whatever for 90 minutes if I get free food and free games and a free movie. And I 100% fell asleep because this is a two and a half hour movie starting at midnight in a franchise that I don't care about. And I care about so little that I had to look up if Decepticons were good or bad. Like, I understand, like, their name has a negative connotation, but I was like, okay, I think they're bad. But, like, I, have, I really do not remember what the good version is. Autobots. I had to look that up. Uh, I just, I, I never grew up with Transformers. They mean nothing to me. My only exposure to them are these four films. I mean, the one that we're not doing, the Mark Wahlberg one, but I mean, I never knew anything about them before, I don't know, 10 years ago? Interesting. Um, I was around when this cartoon came on the air, and it was okay. I, I more remember the toys growing up. The toys were incredible, and they were like real metal, too, before everything became plastics, and I think they were, we were the generation parents complained so much about toys hurting their kids that they became plastic at one point. I didn't have any, you know, love for this when they were releasing the new movies and then Michael Bay was announced, the Transformer movies, da da da. Like, I was the last person to complain about, you know, my childhood being <laughs> being destroyed. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, I don't have any close ties in those regards. And I actually saw Transformers 1. That was the first movie I went to a midnight screening of myself. It wasn't work-related, but it's funny that we both saw one of these at midnight. The thing about Transformers 3, I remember, though, is that there were rumors that they were sort of going to do it right and correct some of the wrongs with the past two movies. And if you recall, when we get to Transformers 2, it was made during the writer's strike, and there's just incredible issues with those with that movie in particular that we'll talk about when we get to. But I just remember going to this, or actually renting this on demand, because I heard that they fixed a lot of issues with the series, but after seeing it, I don't think that that's true at all. I looked up, as I do for every movie, the trivia about this movie, and coming from a place where I know nothing about the series, the franchise, whatever, a lot of the trivia seems to be kind of fan service, like if it's writing the wrongs of the series or whatever, there's literally 120-something bits of trivia, or 170-something, it's crazy, there's so much trivia on IMDb, and all of it is like obscure references to other Transformers, like TV shows and episodes and other properties, and it feels like, not knowing the trivia from the first two movies, not having seen them basically since they came out, it does feel like they actively tried to like bring it back to its roots and sort of like appeal to the more hardcore Transformers fans. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the promise anyway, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not a hardcore fan, so I can attest to that, but I'll tell you, having seen all these three, the Shia films, this feels, if anything, more confusing than the last two because of perhaps the fan service going on that I'm not aware of, (laughs) and it just leaves a casual viewer in the dust. So this time, I don't see any of that. Like, it just seems to have the same issues, if not more, this time around. It's just all over the place. Well, what's weird about the, this level of fan service is that, like, in a Marvel movie, for instance, the, the usually, like, unless you're really into the comics, well, not even really, like, unless you're, like, into the comics on any level, I feel like the after-credits tag just is something you do not understand. Like, mm-hmm. when they showed The Collector, or when they showed Apocalypse in, the, in Days of Future Past, I'm just like, oh, okay, like, I'm sure that's somebody important, but I have no idea. But, like, it's not enough to, like, ruin, because, like, the movie itself... It, it works, you know. Like it's it's a movie that right. it, it like it's made for everybody. It's made for public consumption. You don't have to have seen, or you don't have to have read hundreds of these comic books to understand what's going on. If you don't understand the closing credits tag, as soon like on your way out of the theater, you can Google like, you know, X Men Days of Future Past end credits meaning or whatever. And by the time you get to your car, you can be like, okay, that's Apocalypse. He's a main bad guy. He's setting up the next movie. Whatever. Here, it's just like. I can't keep up with everything that's going on. Like, it's a weird... Like, instead of just having a one-off, it's the entire thing. Yeah, exactly. And they're throwing out all these names that um, that I can't keep track of. And that's how it seems, too. Like, they're just name-dropping left and right characters from whatever episode or whatever series. Or, you know what I mean? It's just like Ironhide or Galvatron or whoever. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just throwing names out there. But... Um, or who's the, like, Sentinel, you know? Like, when they got the Sentinel, I'm like, okay, they're, they're really, like, this guy's really important, I guess, because they're making a huge deal out of it. None of it seems to help the movie, though. I mean, we got two and a half hours of movie here, okay? And they, they there's so much digression and diversion, and all the human stuff has, like, nothing to do with the Transformer stuff for, like, almost an hour, and, and it just seems like... There's no cohesion here, and you're right, it just feels like, what's, it's, who's this for? It's strictly for the fans, apparently, because someone like me, like, just can't make any, like, sense of it, you know? And ultimately, when it comes down to it, this is just, like, a war film. You know, that's what I feel about it. Like, it's a war movie, and they've dropped Transformers into the middle of it here and there. What's kind of amazing is you can, I don't want to say you can tune out, because there is, like, there is a story, it's just hard to get through as we're talking about, but you can sort of, like, guess what's going on and be right. Like, I read the wiki summary after this was over just to make sure that, like, I followed what was going on in the movie and, like, you know, not knowing necessarily the proper nouns or the people or whatever, I knew what was going on. I don't know if that's, like, a credit to the movie or, like, a, a, a backhand, like, a backhand, comp- you know what I mean? It's, it's weird, like... Would you say there's, like, so little going on that they try to pepper it with all this extra <laughs> stuff? You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, the main plot is so thin. It's like, okay, we've discovered that there were Transformers on the moon in the 60s, and we're finally going back to find out what that was all about, you know, all these years later, and we've discovered um, there's, like, a ship, we bring it to Earth, <laughs> um, we wake up this Transformer, and apparently, like, the he's in cahoots with the bad guys, and they're going to build a space bridge to build, to bring their planet to our solar system and enslave humanity. And in the meantime, I'm, like, I'm just, Sam I'm just, Wichy- I'm just shaking my head right now. I know, I know it's not a good thing for an audio <laughs> but, podcast. I'm just shaking my head right now. I think I, I can sense it, though. I can, I can sense it happening. But in the meantime, 
Uh, Sam Witwicky, uh, our Shia character, he's trying to get a job. He's juggling his new girlfriend. His parents are in town. Optimus Prime is leading some task force for the government where the Transformers are like all around the planet looking for Decepticons. They're in Chernobyl. They're in China. They're wherever they need to be, whenever, you know, they're globetrotting. At some point, everything converges in Chicago where the robots take over Earth. And it's like, okay, I guess this is happening now. And it just seems like a series of all of a sudden this, all of a sudden that. Yeah, it's I don't know, like... I don't, I just don't, I just don't have words <laughs> to describe. It's a mess. It's, it's just, like, what, uh, the most impressive thing, and this is impressive in a bad way, is that even the action is boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, I wrote down wall-to-wall noise, you know? It's, I've heard this, these movies be referred to as just a cacophony of effects, right? Like, they just, it's so in-your-face and over-the-top and loud, and for me, I have problems discerning what action is actually taking place. I've actually, the one positive about doing the Transformers movies, finally, is I, I finally get to talk about this. Like, I just have trouble following the robotic action, and I know other people have this complaint about the films. There's just, there's no contrast between, you know, the the look of the different robots to tell them apart enough for me. And it's especially telling early on where we see their robot planet, and it's just a wash of gray technology, and you really can't tell one thing from another, and I feel like that's a lot of what happens in this movie. I just can't tell one thing from another most of the time. And what's really frustrating about it is that part of the trivia that I read was about the the raw computer power required to create this on-screen action. That this company ILM, which did the, the, the I, guess, I don't know if they did all the graphics or most of them, employed this entire rendering machinery to use on the film. So I guess they only did work on this, as opposed to they took on no other projects. Mm-hmm. They did two hundred thousand hours of rendering per day which was equivalent to 22 years worth, almost 23 years worth per day. And then that the driller, like the main sort of, you know, final third of the movie was 70,000 pieces, I guess, CGI pieces. And it took 122 hours to render one frame that it was, one frame that it was on screen. Whoa. And like, all for but hold, what? Hold on. But then, <laughs> when it's attacking the skyscraper, like the biggest thing, it took yeah. 288 hours per frame. I mean, it's insane how much work this took to create this action. And a lot of it's just like, oh, there's just big metal destroying other big metal. Yeah, I can't even understand what that robot is even it's this giant snake but at some point it opens up and a small robot sort of comes out of it and i'm like uh are they connected is he riding that thing does he just control it like what is going on like as it's going around and through that building i'm thinking i'd like to enjoy this but i kind of can't it's shot and directed and produced in such a way that i don't know i just don't i can't follow it for the most part you know i mean to me the the most easy to understand robot was the bird bot the laser beak or whatever like at times there's just that sort of pterodactyl transformer flying around right. like like that worked for me because it was like I knew the look of a bird, so a robot based on it was just easy to understand. They really couldn't screw that up. And later on, most of the Decepticons actually sort of have this beast-like quality, and it was easier for me to actually follow that. Like, there's a highway 
action sequence at one point and some of the robots start like you know look like a tiger or a lion or something and i was like okay like that's making it easier for me to see what you know tell the good guys from the bad guys but for the most part it's a shame that so much work and all of that time and energy and resources were put into something that you know most of the people that i know just don't really find these movies all that entertaining you know what i'm saying like it almost feels sort of like a waste well what's weird is that all the robots look the same in colors except for Bumblebee, and Bumblebee's barely in this movie, and Bumblebee's mm-hmm. the best. I mean, Bumblebee's the best robot. I mean, the Transformer, yeah. whatever, whatever you want to call it. I love Bumblebee. Everybody loves Bumblebee. But what's weird, like, I feel like you can level sort of, or like, people can give similar criticisms from this movie to other movies like, you know, the Marvel movies, the DC movies, but in those, you have superheroes with faces, and you're like, okay, I know that that's Thor, because I know that's Chris Hemsworth. Here, it's just like, everybody's just sort of shades of gray. Like, literally shades of gray. It's not just like, you know, I can't tell the difference. I literally cannot tell the difference between a bunch of these guys. Yeah, design goes a long way. You know, I think we talk about that more and more uh, on these podcasts, actually, is like, uh, you need to create, like, a look for the character that can tell you something quickly that, you know, a lot of talking won't tell you, you know, because that character may not even talk in your movie. You take someone like Bumblebee, like you say, like, he is definitely the most iconic character. He stands out the most, and he doesn't even talk, right? He can't talk, so it's kind of funny. Like, they understand what they need to do. They just kind of, they don't go ahead and do it. Optimus really, he's almost too faithful to his original design in that they just kind of rely on that for Optimus. He really doesn't have all that much of like a personality or anything to go along with that. Yeah, you're right. Like if they had just really designed everybody to stand out more, I'm talking about the robots, like if they had designed them to really be distinct and look separate from one another, that would have covered a lot of the issues for me in this movie. Because you could have them running around, jumping around. Like, I like Michael Bay movies. I like the sort of mindless fun that they bring and the energy, you know, stuff like the island, right? And, you know, we're big proponents of The Rock. And, you know, he can do stuff that's fun and entertaining. But there's just something about the design of these movies that I don't find appealing and kind of headache-inducing. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right, because they are headache-inducing. You said that you wish that they draw, like, the, the robots had more, you know, unique personalities, but, like, the people in this movie don't have unique personalities either. In Wikipedia, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley is literally just credited as Sam's new girlfriend. Like, she's got a bigger part in the movie, but she's just, like, like that's her role, and, like, there's Sam's parents. And, like, Frances McDormand is basically important military woman. Like, how do we know that right. she's important? Because she comes in and she's, like, talking about how important she is. Like, she's on the phone talking about how important she is. Or there's, uh, what's his face? Who's the guy? Oh, the really handsome guy. Oh, McDreamy. Yeah, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. He's just like, he's just like a handsome, good-looking, important military guy. And it's just, like, all these people, like, are just, like, a cookie-cutter stereotype that, like, I'm gonna lead my guys into battle. And I feel like the only, I mean, there's John Turturro, who sometimes in this movie has personality, but, like, aside from shy, I don't know, it's just weird. The parents are great. Like, I feel like the Witwickies are drawn well. Not that we really know the parents in this movie, but I love Kevin Dunn, and I love the woman who plays his mom, and they're both really funny in this movie, and she's got the best line in the movie when she talks about Sam's new car. I sent this to you on Facebook. She says, it reminds me of Bumblebee if Bumblebee was a sad sack of shit. It's just a funny line in a movie that's sort of devoid of fun. And, you know, we're here about Shia, and we'll talk about Shia soon, but I think he's like, 
an actual character, but like, nobody else in this movie is anything more than just a caricature of something, just to sort of be like, yeah, 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 there's people here because we need to get to the robot action. Yeah, absolutely, and and the story suffers because of it, because you don't come to really care or l- learn or care about any of the characters, and so you don't really care what their fate is, and at the end when McDreamy like, falls off a building or whatever happens to him, you're just like, meh, whatever, like, <laughs> I totally knew you were the bad guy anyway, because, you know, you're like Sam's competition or whatever, like, that's like exactly like you said, you're just one note, you're here for one single purpose, and it's been a tell from the beginning <laughs> what that is for just about everybody here, and and you're right about the parents and sometimes Totoro, right? Like, the reason that they are bearable, or at least the best parts of this movie for me, is because they're fun and funny, and they do come across that way, and they do bring... They, they bring the vibe that I feel the rest of the movie should have, like this light, fun comedy vibe. Instead, the movie wants to be... Saving Private Ryan meets Black Hawk Down meets some kind of future robot war, you know? Like, it's it's so intent on being this, our troops, our heroes, right? Like, flying the flag, 9-11, like, it's insane. It really wants to be important. Like, it doesn't yeah. really... It doesn't know how to be important, but wants to be important so bad. Yeah, and I just feel like that's totally the wrong vibe for Transformers. Like, these robot battles they i don't feel like they necessarily need to be these huge war world war battles like it just you know they're robots in the skies like all this stuff should be like secret war type things that you know they shouldn't be trying to cause attention instead it's just like everybody by the end of this movie is aware that we have aliens that can transform from robots into you know, basically whatever they want. You know, that's another thing. It's just like pick a shape and stick with it because it's <laughs> like you could be a TV, you could be a laptop, you could be a car. It's like figure it out. A saving grace of this movie, I feel, aside from lines here and there, are the way are the different roles that are cast that are like in these really small parts, but like Sam's parents or you have you have Andy Daly as just like yes. this crazy guy at work. And I'm just like, wait, Andy Daly's in this movie? Or you have Alan Tudyk. Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Or you have John Malkovich. And it's like these actors that you love from other things, clearly you're just getting a paycheck, but it's still great. And like apparently, so <laughs> two, two, two fun notes about this is that Frances McDormand said this is the only movie that she's ever done, this is as of like a year ago, where she got paid what she asked for. Like she got paid her huh. quote. I guess they're just like, yeah, whatever, like we'll just pay you whatever, like we don't care. Yeah, like, we they have, want her we prestige. Have unlimited money. Right, yeah, because you're going to get, like, guys like, you know, originally Totoro in the first one sort of was like, wait a minute, they got, like, a real actor to be in this crazy, you know, sci-fi movie. And then throughout the years, they're like, we need at least one established actor with, like, actual credits to sort of hold this movie together. And I think Frances McDormick got the call and was like, we need, you know, your prestige here to make us valid. Apparently, Alan Tudyk said that his character... I'd never seen the movie 28 Days, but his character in this movie is apparently a continuation of the character from that movie, is that he <laughs> said, he said, quote, he'd gotten out of, like, the character from that movie, he'd gotten out of rehab, got himself on the right track, and then entered the army, became a specialist, found <laughs> that he had skills in computers and weapons, then he got burned out after too much killing and just decided to become a valet to Agent Simmons. 
there's a moment where he just goes crazy and I say that's the old me oh. and that was all based on the old <laughs> and that was all based on the bullshit idea that it was the same guy so like I guess there's just <laughs> like I feel like there's just no background to any of these characters and he's just but, like yeah whatever like it's the same guy like I'll just I knew what to do for him so I'll just do the same thing here I think he was also the butler in Tomb Raider and played sort of the same exact character where he has a wacky accent and he's an awesome weapons specialist or something but I, I love that guy he's a great character actor and yeah it, you're right it's this movie in between all of the mad noise and the just uh, just like the hurricane of sound and everything it is kind of nice that like these little parts pop up here and there uh it just makes you wish that like the rest of it was toned down way further because you're like these little beats of comedy and these little walk-on roles are like killing it but the rest of the movie is just dragging me down so far (laughs) it's amazing that they kind of couldn't put two and two together and realize, wow, this comedy stuff is working a lot better than this serious war message. It's like, I don't want a message in my Transformers movie. It's the wrong time to make a point like that. And I really don't know who to blame. I don't know if it's Michael Bay's fault. I don't know if it's the fact that they probably have like 40 producers. I don't know that it's probably the fact that they have like 15 or 20 writers. I don't want to point the finger at anybody. A couple other things that I read seem to indicate that Michael Bay was even sort of like, not like half-assed about it, but to cast Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, he did work on the Victoria's Secret. Like, I think he did those commercials for them, if you remember, like like several years ago. Oh, like the Angel commercials? Yeah, I think. And so he saw her there, he met her there, and then he's like, hey, come audition for my movie. And apparently she did enough in her audition for him to just offer her the role right there. I mean, she's not bad, but I just feel like that's sort of like a... Especially because there were other... Like, I have a list of actresses offered or rumored to replace Megan Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blake Blake Lively was apparently the first choice, oh. but she couldn't get free from Gossip Girl, so she had to do... So she had to drop out. Uh, Gemma Arterton, Ashley Green, Brooklyn Decker, Miranda Kerr, Bar Raphael, Amber Heard, Camila Bell, Katie Cassidy, Heidi Montag, Lucy Hale, Juliana Huff, the weirdest name on the list, Anna Kendrick, were all hmm. rumored to replace Megan Fox. I love Anna Kendrick. I do not know how she would work as basically mm-hmm. what's just like a glorified sex object in this movie. Like, I feel like if, if you have Anna Kendrick in this role, you have to like actually write a character for her. Right. Yeah, right. It's funny because she plays the FBI contact down the line when in that Robert Redford movie. So um, I would like to see her and Shia in a film, but not this and not that role. No, by no means. You know, they would... Yeah, they, I feel like here it's just Michael Bay needed to replace Megan Fox with another stunningly gorgeous woman and it was like, this one is the most beautiful and she doesn't really have any baggage concerning previous work, right? Like, she's not a known name, so, you know, she doesn't have to command a lot of spotlight. Like, we could just use her character however we want. We don't have to write... You know, extra lines for say someone. You know, someone someone that's well known, right? Like might might want to command more screen time or something. So I'm not Michael Bay. I don't know what his logic was, but it just seems to me like this was. We just basically need another Megan Fox in here to just stand there and like look attractive, and that's really unfortunate because you know the movie just needs more. Well, I just say the movie needs less testosterone, right? Like it needs like the Megan Fox, like, I kind of miss her, you know, spoiler, I've seen the previous two movies, but, like, she's not doing anything spectacular in that, but she is more of 
an instant presence. She's got yeah. more of a charisma. She's got charm. Like, she pops off the screen. This girl, no offense, like, I don't really feel like she can act. Like, she just, I don't get any vibe off of her. Yeah, like, she's fine. I don't think she's bad, but it's just sort of like, you basically need a girl who you can describe a really sexy sports car and leave the camera on the girl and be like, oh, Michael Bay, I see what you're doing here. Like, you're describing her. Like, you know, this European... Uh, with the curves that'll like you know like that one scene <laughs> it's just like oh god like okay sure that's all you need in this role and she does that and she's fine and she's really good I think or you know she's good enough in Mad Max Fury Road uh, you know as oh, one of the f- yeah she's she one is of the five girls yeah okay yeah. so I mean she she can do she can hold her own it's just that this role is she's given absolutely nothing to do yeah that's it like she you know these these are not these are kind of thankless films for actors in a way like I almost feel like they're directed like I almost feel like the humans in this are just like as important as the special effects they're just another element for a composition for a computer you know so for the most part you are just gonna stand there okay say your line alright now run and yell as fast as you can and then we're just gonna take that cut you out put you you know in the green screen in the program and do 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 and stitch you together and everything so Pretty much everybody is treated like a commodity in this movie. All the actors, you know, like I don't feel like any of them are really given all that much to work with. No, and I feel like it's if you want to get something out of this movie as an actor, you sort of have to decide for your own sake, you know, like Alan Tudyk did, even though that didn't. I'm sure that was just like, I'm so bored on set here. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Let me just come up with some creative backstory. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it just seems like there's no. Th- deep thought put into any of that (laughs) stuff and it's great that he picked up on it you know and every once in a while you get lucky with actors like that like I think Totoro also and Malkovich like those guys like they they know what what movie they're in you know they they feel like they're bringing their own backstories I know Totoro's a reoccurring character but like with Malkovich I love that one scene where you know he's Sam's boss and he's like bossing him around but then when he finds out that Sam's the Transformer kid like he works for him for a minute right like gets him information and stuff all he wants to do is meet Bumblebee and he meets Bumblebee and he looks at him and he's just like that is fucking awesome <laughs> you know and to see the look on his face like I truly believed every word of it and it was just like this really nice moment I wasn't expecting in the movie at all because it felt real and genuine it, it missed amid all of this fakery that's going on I don't know that these are... I, I hesitate to call them bad movies, because they're, mm. they're, they're made... Like, the production value is there. It's just... But that's all it is, right? It's cotton candy, yeah. It's shallow. Like, that's the best way I could describe it, is that it looks slick and great with the sound off, you know? You're probably like, oh, I want to turn the sound up. But as soon as you do, it's just like... it's For me, it's very hard to follow. It's edited in a very jarring manner. A lot of over-the-topness here. Just, I don't know. I just don't think it's a good movie. I do have to say, though, watching it with a good surround sound setup makes you appreciate your surround sound setup. Because, like, the sounds in this movie, they're all the same, but, like, it's edited and it's mixed in a great way. I don't know if that's really much of a compliment, but, like, they know what they're doing. Like, if you want just, like, crazy robot action, like, if you basically want robot porn, you know what I mean? Like, this is is as good as you can get. Again, I'm not sure. I would say check out Pacific Rim before checking out a Transformer, just in the sense that you could actually follow the action of those fights a lot better than here. And, I mean, there's also stuff in that movie, like, where he picks up the boat and uses it basically as a baseball bat that are way more creative than anything 
anything in this yeah, movie. Exactly. Right. Like every fight seems just like the same. Like let's just pound pound each other with our robot fists until you know one of us starts to run away or one of us gets gets a chance to escape. And I mean, there are cool things like that sort of in this movie. Like I think at the end, Bumblebee sort of like punches a Decepticon through the chest and like uppercuts him and like explodes his head. But it's like it's cool, but it's also similar-ish to everything else that's been going on, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just there's too it's too long. I mean, I really do feel like you could do a great Transformers movie. I feel like the elements are even present here. I feel if you scraped away all of the excess and you really got down to the core of this I think it could be an interesting you could have like a good movie here you could just have something like well I know this is the third in the series and everything but I mean just taking the elements here you could have stuff like Sam looking for a job and you know I like that whole thing about just him feeling like he's more important than his position because he can't tell anybody that he helped save the earth and I mean there's stuff here that should be working it just gets lost in the shuffle like they just throw everything at this stuff and by the end of it I just feel like none of it sticks even in the end when the planet's coming to earth I can't even follow what's happening there we got all these pillars but they're all across the planet but we only need to destroy the ones in Chicago but then they're in Washington (laughs) jumping through a portal on the moon but then there's a sky beam shooting into the into space and half of the planet's coming like it's just all over the place I don't understand any of it and I don't really want to, but this, I mean, so, okay, so in terms of Shia, yes. I think he does a good enough job, like, I feel like now, based on his experiences and everything, we're never going to see him do a movie like this again. I feel right. like he's sort of done his thing between these three movies, Indiana Jones, you know, a couple other movies coming up, I mean, I feel like he might be in action-ish, action-y movies, but not blockbusters like this. I feel like he's good enough to carry the movie, but also, I mean, we were talking on the Lawless episode, acting up against Tom Hardy, like, you're just going to lose because Tom Hardy's like this overwhelming force, but, I mean, acting up against $200 million in CGI, like, you're <laughs> not going to come out, like, it's 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 over. Yeah, I basically feel like this is a thankless role because no matter how you slice it, he's going to be upstaged by the effects. I mean, this is about the effects, but as a human, he's one of the best on screen i feel well his his role is basically run around and scream as much as you can you know like he's very manic very over the top paranoid his character is just constantly fidgeting you know it's a very physical performance and i i don't remember that out of it and i don't think that's very easy to do like i think he's doing a good job i just don't like what he's asked to do like i just don't like the fact that his character is just like this exploding ball of energy the entire movie basically and and everything he says almost feels like a riff off of an improv off of like a fifth or sixth take or something like a lot of it just feels like randomized like let's just try and have everything he says be the funniest thing in the world and a lot of that stuff kind of falls flat for me but again i feel like he does as good as he can in a movie like this i I agree i don't think we're ever going to see him in something this size before maybe indie maybe i think you know those movies are just that's just a different category than transformers there's a possibility yeah these just seem like the things you get burned out on and i almost wonder if he 
went through like actor PTSD for being in these three Transformers movies, and that's why he decided to do smaller stuff. Because how can I mean? You're, it basically seems like he's as close to you know being at war as you can on a movie set. Like he is running through the streets and shit's exploding all around him, and it's you know take after take after take. I could I could just see him like freaking out and you know doing installations at the museum for a couple months after this. You know just because it seems like it's something that you'd get really burned out on. Well, in that regard, as I was watching this movie, and there's sort of... I think it's just the way the movie's set up, like there's action happening all over the city, it made me wonder, and I'm sure this is the case on a lot of bigger movies with huge budgets, but it really makes me wonder how many of these people actually have a full grasp of, like, everything that's going on in the movie. Because I can sort of see, like, they're, like, okay, like, we're just in a warehouse for, like, a week, and we're just shooting stuff in this way. You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. there's so many things going on, like, them running through the streets, and it's just, aside from, like, the real stars, like, aside from Shia, who's sort of in most of the scenes, or not most of the scenes, but, like, most of the scenes with people or whatever. Like, I wonder how many people actually have a grasp of what's going on, especially considering, like, sure, there's rubble, and sure, I think they blew up something like 570 cars in this movie that were given to them for free by some company because they're all flood damaged. Uh, So all these cars that are blowing up, they were all free. So, I mean, they were all junk cars anyway, so that's not part of the budget, I guess. You have stuff going on around you, like practical effects, but then... You have so much that's being added CG, and this is probably the last time in terms of chronology that Shy is going to do this, but the first time that we're seeing it, that he's probably acting across from tennis balls. You know what I mean? Like, okay, like <laughs> stare here because this is where the little robot is. Not that saying acting is easy or hard or whatever, but I feel like this kind of acting is harder than you would imagine just because, like, there's so little actually there, and for him to, like, talk to Bumblebee, like, have this real heart-to-heart with Bumblebee, or, like, go scoop up these little robots, or talk to the robots, or whatever. It's it's a skill set that, I don't know if it's easy or hard, but it's just, it's weird. It's gotta be hard, but, like, it's weird. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, I have little nieces and nephews, and I've watched a lot of those, you know, like, chipmunk movies, or the animated, like, live-action animated hybrid films, you know, like we're talking about, like, acting against nothing, and a lot of them, you could just tell, like, you know, it's like, what what are they looking at? They're not even looking at the chipmunk, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I think you're totally right, that is a skill set, and now that you mention it, he does that really well, like, it is kind of amazing that, as you say, he's able to cry in front of nothing while, you know, telling Bumblebee, he's never going to see him again. Like, I didn't really consider that from an acting standpoint watching this, you know? I think about it now in retrospect in prequels for Star Wars and just nowadays how things are way more effects-driven. You do, from time to time, the better movies like those are the ones where you get those performances where you're just like, how is, like, you know, this person crying against a blue screen? Wow, that's pretty remarkable. And it is those moments that make those movies better but they're few and far between unfortunately i don't think everybody's as good as shia in this acting against nothing and i also agree that it feels almost like there's well you know like when you shoot an action movie like this i think i think this movie is just way too big you know usually you have at least a second unit when you're making an action film so that the director can just shoot everything with the principal characters and you could take the second unit and go shoot like an action sequence where you don't see anyone's face and you use all the stunt doubles but this movie feels like there's four units or five units and that everybody's off shooting something and at the end of the day they come together and they're almost like oh shit like 
tonally we're all over the place. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, when we put this together, it's all going to match in some way because that's a, it. Does feel like that? Like a bunch of people went out, shot a bunch of stuff for Transformers Three, came back, and they didn't all have the same sensibility. It's it's weird. I don't. It's just oh, we still have two of these movies to go too. Man, oh man! <laughs> like I don't want to get burnt out talking about these movies because I feel like we could go deeper into what these movies are and what they aren't and everything like that because we have the next one we're doing is Wall Street 2 which will be interesting in its own regards but then we have another Transformers movie basically you know right after this and then there's like you know several more movies before we have the other one but like it's just uh, it's just a lot it's just it's impressive it's impressive in ways that it's also non-impressive it's just I I don't know it's almost like you know what it kind of felt like to a degree uh, like Gloating a little bit, like look what we can do, like look yeah. at this crazy bullshit that like is possible. But ultimately, it's empty because I'm not here to be impressed by that. Like I'm first and foremost like want I'm trying to follow the story and what's happening in that. And you can't really concoct a story a hundred percent through all these crazy computer generated images as badly as you want to. As much as you just want Starscream to land and say ah, Megatron, you know, it's been a while like, let's go get the humans and then, you know, this bullshit stilted, terrible dialogue that the robots give that just is so expository because it's been like 40 minutes before we know what the hell's been going on. So we need like a Starscream to land and go the humans have gathered in the city like, we have all of the robo-rods and we're gonna send for the home world to come and it's like okay now i know what's happening and back to you know the craziness and it's just uh, it's it's just a headache i just feel like there's way too much going on i know you want to give your money's worth it just feels like too much you're bombarded well what's crazy about the franchise is that people seem to love it i don't know like do you have a sense were the fans happier with this movie than they were with the first two? Like, we talked um, earlier about how they wanted to try to make the fans happier, but did that actually, did that pay off? I don't really know, to be quite honest with you. Like, I, I'm in the same boat where it's like, I hear that these movies are popular and people love them, but is that just the marketing? Is Do people like it? Like, I wonder if we went out and took a poll or if we had some you know if we did a poll online you know do you really like the Transformers movies we would get the truth but it feels like a franchise that A people feel like they should like you know, because it's Transformers and it's nostalgic and so many nerds like it. And then you got the nerd culture where it's like they're just going to love it because it's a Transformers movie no matter what. Like, they see Optimus, that's all they care. They see Megatron, that's all they fucking care about. They could give a shit about anything else going on. You know, that's that's kind of how I view these movies as, the, those two sort of separate entities in, in a way. And I don't know... If they really like it, or if they just want to like it so bad that they convince themselves that they do. I looked up earlier what the box office mojo, like the box office returns were on these movies. I guess we could talk about them all now. Okay, so the first movie, just Transformers, came out in 2007, July 2007. It cost $150 million, and it grossed worldwide over $700 million. Huge hit. In terms of Rotten Tomatoes, 57% critics liked it, so almost fresh. That's sort of in that like spot where like this might be like right in your wheelhouse. You might not like this at all. Like it's sort of this real hit or miss. But 86% of people who scored it on, I guess that's Flickster, which I think Rotten Tomatoes bought. 86% of fans liked it. So the first movie, huge financial success, mixed at the box office or mixed critical reception. 
but fans love it. The second movie, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, comes out two years later, June 2009. Cost $200 million, so it costs about $50 million more, but it grosses $836 million, so it grosses another, like one thirty-six more. Critics hate this one. 19% say it's a mm. good movie. Audiences, only 58% like it. So, I mean, we're mm-hmm. way down there. Huge drop-off. Huge drop-off, especially for the critics. And, like, I mean, that's basically, you know, instead of five out of six fans liking it, or six out of seven, now it's basically, you know, three out of five. So it's it's way less. Then we get to this one, which cost $195 million. So I think that was similar. I think, what did I say the second one was? $200 million? Yeah. So it's a little bit less. But this movie somehow grosses $1.1 billion worldwide. Wow. Huge, huge financial success. You look at the critics, the critics liked this one a little bit more. 35% said it was a good movie. So we're sort of in between. But only 55% of fans liked it, which is kind of interesting. That this movie that critics thought was way better than the second one isn't really, is, is liked by even less fans. Maybe they're getting burnt out. Yeah. The fourth one, which Shia is not in, which is Mark Wahlberg, came out two years ago, June 2014. $210 million budget, so right in line with the second and the third movies, grossed another $1.1 billion. Whoa. This one, Rotten Tomatoes, 18% of critics liked it, so it's right on par with the worst, <laughs> number two, and 51% of the audience liked it. So audiences like these movies less and less and less, but they keep going to see them. And when I looked on Box Office Mojo, I just typed in Transformers, they apparently have sequels planned out through Transformers 7. So these Whoa. movies are not going anywhere for a long, long time, because they're putting mm-hmm. in $200 million dollars. Even if you double that for marketing, they're still getting $1.1 billion back. Yep. They're still making, like, triple their money. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And, and that's the model. That's the business model. Like, it doesn't matter if they're good movies because <laughs> people went and saw them and we made a billion dollars. So you bet your ass, like, they're filming one right now. You know, they're filming the fifth one. Uh, and it's got, like, King Arthur in it or some crap. Like, who cares what it's going to be is basically what they're saying. Like, let's let's have them fight dragons in medieval time with robots because the audience is just going to go. They they Even if they don't like the movie, they're just going to be curious. And the way I feel about it is the way, I, the way I was. I was like, well, maybe the next one will be better. Maybe they'll finally get it right. I sat through the Mark Wahlberg version because I was like, they've shifted up the entire cast. Maybe they've juggled around a couple other things and they finally, you know, figured out what was right. But no, it's just more of the same. It's all more of the same. It's just the same thing over and over and seemingly worse and worse. Or at least like you said, people just don't want more of the same. Like, it really feels like let's reboot it or like let it die but like I guess you said they're gonna do seven of them eight of them whatever I mean they just want their billions I mean they're gonna do them until we stop going to see them and I just don't think we're gonna stop going to see them no I'm sort of of two minds here because like I I, I basically see every movie that comes out like every movie of note these are the kind of movies that you have to see in theaters because like that's where it's meant to be seen and also if you see them in theaters you're sort of like you're forced to pay attention like you can't just be like oh like what's going on on Facebook right now while like there's just more mindless action going on but at the same time like I don't really want to give them my $11 or whatever Mm -hmm. or give them movie passes $11 I guess the thing with these movies is that like people go see them in theaters because it's it's hard to get even if it's not done well like we talked about like it's not as done as, as it's not done as well as Pacific Rim, it's hard to get more spectacle for your buck. Yes, and I tell you, I saw the first Transformers movie because I'm a fan of giant robots and big 
kaiju monster movies and Godzilla stuff like that. So there's an audience out there that's basically been starved for stuff like this, and we'll see it no matter what. Like, I almost feel like a kid that never learns his lesson is the reason. It's like, I just want to see big robots do cool shit, and, like, I can't even get that in this and it makes me upset that like you could screw something up that seems so basic you could screw it up so much you really don't need over complex design and all that kind of crazy shit it just feels like it's uh, maybe i'm the one out of touch you know maybe it's just not for the generation i come from and this is more of the low attention span type of audience kind of thing just because it's like what's over here boom what's over there bam like look over here look over there and you know i'm not trying to say people who like this shouldn't like this or anything like that like that's it's fine if you enjoy it i love tons of bad movies and stuff it's just uh, we're here talking about it now and i feel like it's my only chance to really kind of you know, <laughs> like rip into it to a degree and it just it just kind of annoys me it, it just bugs me i mean the real question though is have you ever met people who love these movies? Because I don't think I have. No. I think that's the real question is, are they popular? Are they good? Are they bad? I don't know anybody in my circle that enjoys them. Like, I know people, I mean, comparing it to another billion-dollar movie maker that people aren't necessarily thrilled with, but, like, you compare it to DC movies, but, like, I know people who love those movies. Like, I know that they, you know, people mm-hmm. who love Suicide Squad, people who love mm-hmm. Batman vs. Superman, those people exist. I don't know who loves Transformers. Yeah, I hear you. Like, <laughs> you know, there... <laughs> I think there's just these die-hard comic book fans that want to see Batman so bad and those characters, but you're right. I also know people that have said, yeah, Dawn of Justice, good movie, but... I Yeah, I haven't heard anyone say that about these, so it's strange. It's just real weird, but we have two more movies, so maybe, maybe we will figure out why they're so great. We're probably not going to, but maybe we'll figure out why they're so great <laughs> by the time we're done with these. It is interesting to sort of see them in reverse, because we are sticking true to Shia's viewing schedule, and he's doing three, then two, then one. So we're doing the same way, and I just... It's not like the story matters really at all. Like, it's just giant robot action, right? I just... It, I just don't know what's going on. This story does not feel connected to the previous movies whatsoever. So in that regard, I felt like, okay, this is sort of a clean slate. You can watch this movie without knowing what was going on beforehand, and pretty much be able to... Pretty much be able to follow it as much as possible. I, I don't know. I kind of thought in that regard, it, it was okay. Yeah, I guess. Next time we have Wall Street, Money... No, wait. Wall Street is it Money Never Sleeps? Is that the, is that the movie? Yeah, Money Never so. Sleeps. Yeah. yeah, and then we have Transformers Two: Revenge of the Fallen. Stay tuned for that if you like this. I mean, I, I think we'll have more things to talk about. I'm interested to see because I remember literally nothing about the first two movies aside from that hmm. one shot that was in every trailer of Megan Fox, where like they're at they're, she's at her the hood of her car, and like the camera just pans up. You know, like that that Michael Bay yeah. look at this hot girl who's like into cars. Like that's all I remember about the first two movies. I don't know who's in these movies. I'm excited to see the guest stars, the equivalents of Andy Daly, because I'm sure there's going to be mm-hmm. one or two people in each movie where I'm like, oh, that guy's in this? Okay, cool. I remember the first one the most because I saw that in, I actually saw that in theaters twice, But and I know that there's a couple fun cameo things going on in there. The second one, I, oh man, I'm dreading it, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. This one I rented on demand, and I, I think I was telling you at one point, like, I turned it off and then finished it the next day because I realized, like, I paid for it, so I'm going to watch it, and, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get that four bucks worth out of it and everything. But now you I own think, it on DVD. And now I own it on DVD, but I bought it used for, like, a dollar something at the mall, so I got lucky again in that, uh, right there. I think maybe just as, like, a closing thought, uh, 
I would say that at least Shy is in this movie. Watching the fourth one, I was like, oh man, like this is this is the least bearable one because we don't even have Shia. Like you, it's weird how much I, he's kind of missing from the fourth one. Like these do feel like, or this does feel like a Shia LaBeouf vehicle. You know what I'm saying? Like this is by all means showcase for him focused around him centered around him everything he's in almost every scene he's in all the human scenes at least and everything yeah like if he wasn't in this it would just be torture but at least we were you know for the Shia cast like we're watching it for him and I can focus on him and like we said I think you know he brings the fun and the levity and the comedy in in the otherwise sort of dreary drab worn torn Transformers universe that I wasn't expecting. So I guess thank you, Shia, for sort of saving this movie, but also thank you, Shia, sarcastically for being in this movie and then making us watch this as part of our (laughs) pledge to you, our honoring of you, whatever. Thank you, and thank you. For all things, all his movies, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find out what's coming next. You can see all the past podcasts that we've done. Check out other shows on the network. You've heard all the stuff the last six episodes that we've done, so you know the drill by now. Facebook.com slash cageclub, cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on All His Movies. I got an